I'm finna put all this in my book bag, cause I'm from the streets. Yeah, yeah. Boom, what's going on? It's your boy Ambition, and we are back with another episode of the MYFD podcast. And today I have with me a leadership coach, leadership and development coach, speaker, uh, and overall a coach, right? Just very used to mentoring uh, young minds and young men uh, get to where they need to go. I have Mr. Todd Kukan. Can you pronounce your last name for me? Yeah, it's 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 like a dove and a criminal. Kukan. Oh, Kukan. Like it. Yeah. Love it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it, very good use of the Dale Carnegie memory method. Right. Was well, that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I, I figured I'd throw that in there as I noticed it. Right. There was um, a seminar I went to some years back where they were talking about Dale Carnegie's method to memorize things. He uses um, basically imagery. Sure. So you'd go um, door, it, it breaks down really well where yeah. the first letter of whatever the image is that you remember is the letter for the thing that you're supposed to remember. Right. So works really well for um, remembering names and things like that. And that's immediately what I thought about when you said it's like a dove and a criminal, criminal, Kukan. <laughs> Got it. Right. I've had to spell my name a few times, so that it comes in handy for at least pronunciation. Nice, nice. All right, so let's jump into it. Um, we were just talking before the podcast uh, went live, right? And four years in the speaking and uh, consulting business as a leadership and development coach. Um, what has that been like? Yeah, I started about four and a half years ago. I was I was introduced to uh, John Maxwell and the John Maxwell team, and really got me interested in that in that area. I'd been doing a lot of work in the nonprofit world, different positions, uh, fundraising, uh, hospitals, human service, all sorts of different areas. And the more I got into it, the more it really felt like it was something that I needed to do more of and investigate more. And while holding a full time job and, and having a family, of course, as well. So um, it got to the point where this past uh, winter, uh, back in February of 21 or so, it started to the point where I had to look at my future because I was using all my vacation time to do my leadership development and corporate communication work. Nice. So I was, I was weighing these two things and through some con great conversations with my, my board president and vice president, I was at a, at a chamber of commerce, uh, through some other conversations with some mentors of mine, people in my inner circle, I just decided that, hey, now it's time to, to pursue my passion. So as of November, November 4th was my last day in a full-time uh, J-O-B, as they say. And uh, so I've been doing a full-time solopreneurship since then. But uh, really through my, my Maxwell beginnings, and now I'm, I'm involved with a number of other different leadership groups and entrepreneur groups, uh, I, I've really I made the right decision. I feel really great in it. Okay, nice, nice. I, I, re I really like... Um... The, the portion where you say you left your job, right? Um, we have a whole lot of that going on right now um, with the pandemic. I know I left uh, a corporate gig myself back in August or September, somewhere around there. Um, so long ago, I can't remember. <laughs> um, Way back then. Right. And we had millions of people walk away from their job during COVID. So as someone who has done that successfully and has had a successful transition, right? You had a four-year buildup to, you know, where you are today. Do you have any advice for anybody who's looking to leave their job? They're thinking about it. Um, what would you tell them? The question that one of my, uh, one of my friends and mentors and uh, someone I've gotten to know in the last year or so, he asked me the question, uh, Who's, who's, uh, whose dream do you want to live, yours or somebody else's? Wow. Now, you can, live, you can live your dream through somebody else's dream, right? That's what, we, that's what we do at Jobs. But really, in terms of my own dream, I really wanted to, to chase that. And again, as I said, over the last four and a half years, it's become more evident. And I, can make, I feel I can make a lot more impact in my role in terms of working with people on things like core value and their inner circle and balancing their life, getting out of their comfort zone, some of those things, mindset, kind of the overarching theme in, in leadership development. Um, it, took, it took me a while to decide. Everybody's at a different point in their life. And 
I'm closer to 100 than I am to zero. So I, I chose to wait in my life. Um, I have four daughters, three have great jobs. One is well on the way in her college career. She's a senior. So now that they have their lives pretty well in shape, that made it, in my, in my mind, simpler to do. Now, people are, you know, some people are more risk averse than others, but I think it'll, you'll know when it's the right time, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the, the teacher shows up when the student is ready. You'll know, you'll know it's the right time to, to make that jump. But I think you have to make sure you surround yourself. And I've used the term inner circle with a group of people that you can really trust that really can help you give you that, the, the right advice. Um, make sure that they're smarter than you. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Find people, keep finding people smarter than you that can build you. But uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough decision to make. But I, like you said, the, I think it's been called the great resignation is going on. And a lot of people are trying those entrepreneurial jobs. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity out there. So yeah, there, there's a, you know, you, it's something, and I probably, I could have done it sooner, but I guess I wasn't ready, right? It just, it, it happened at the right time. The, the stars aligned. I have, I have a strong faith. So prayer was part of my, my decision-making process too. So all that comes into play. It's not, there's not a simple, you know, checkbox type thing, but it's, it's all those things really that came into play. No, I, I totally get that. Um, my next question, we're really going to get into the thick of it now, right? I, mentioned I love it. Earlier, um, I'm a Marine Corps veteran myself. Uh, and I've read several of John Maxwell's books. So we're definitely going to get into some leadership discussion uh, because leadership is something very near and dear to my heart, right? And it's important to a lot of service members because what uh, maybe co contrary to popular belief, every Marine is taught to be a leader. We all get taught those core values, right? We all get taught uh, the 11 leadership traits and all of those things. And a lot of us end up taking those things to heart and we evaluate other Marines based on their leadership ability. Go, oh man, that guy is no good leader. He's over there doing all that stuff while his guys are doing all the work, right? So we'll, we'll sit there and we'll bash people based on their leadership ability. Um, what are three tips that you have for someone who has either found themselves in a leadership position intentionally or unintentionally, and they don't know what they're doing, but they want to make sure that they do a good job. Absolutely. Well, for, first of all, thank you for your, your service as Marine. That's something that, that I have a lot of respect. Um, I, I, it didn't, it didn't, wasn't part of my life, hasn't been part of my life. It was my father, as I mentioned earlier, was in the Navy and I have a lot of respect for him and, and all the people who serve, have served in our country. So thank you, well, first thank of you all, for, for that. Taxes, so I can <laughs> That's right. That's right. I think, you know, and I think in terms of things related to, three things related to leaders, I think, first of all, as a leader, you have to throw the title, your title out the window. If you're in, if you're in a corporate position, uh, just because you have a title doesn't make you a leader. And just because you don't have a title doesn't mean you're not a leader. Mm. I think I think we're all leaders and we can grow to be leaders. I, I, I truly don't believe that people are necessarily born leaders. I think you have that seed in you and it's how you develop that seed. Uh, the second piece of advice I would give is in, in terms of leadership is relationships are so important. Um, and anybody can make a widget. Anybody, anybody can provide a service. But, but to be a leader and develop a relationship, so much of what I've, I, I do in my training and coaching is talk about, talk about mindset and values and those sorts of things. And the only way you can get to those is, is if you, if you um, work on developing relationships. I was doing a training this morning in a company in my community, actually, in my backyard, and we were talking a lot about that. Um, I think the third thing as, as a leader is you need to be a role model. Mm. Uh, you, you need to do what you expect others to do. And oftentimes, and again, the business I was talking to this morning, the, the, the corporate leadership were, were essentially mandating this thing happen, but they were not doing it themselves. So, you know, you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth as a leader. If you're going to be a leader, you have to be a role model and follow that. And, and no better place than in the Marines, right, where your leaders should hopefully be, be role models and what you want to live up to or, or emulate, not necessarily. Now, in, in the military, I realize there's a lot going on with, with, uh, with titles and rank, that's, that's very important, right. but, but also it's just like, it's stepping up. I mean, if you're, if you're in the heat of battle, 
it doesn't matter what what your what your title is, what your rank is, right? right you come right. together as a team. So I think I think those are the, probably the three key elements, three of the key elements. It, you, one of the reasons I asked that question was during my military experience, there was a lot of times, or this conversation popped up a lot. Um, and the reason it popped up a lot was there was always somebody being promoted who the the group, right? They they didn't pass the muster of peers, right? And what the good leaders in the room sat us down and told us was it doesn't matter whether or not you approve, this person's been given an opportunity, and you should let them rise to the occasion right so it just it correlates directly with what you said leaders aren't born right that the opportunity i believe the opportunity presents itself and what you do with the opportunity really defines whether or not you can walk away from that experience um truly as a leader that's yeah that's that's some great wisdom you're you're exactly right and and uh, when you're given that chance to step up, like you say, take advantage of it. And and you won't have you won't have all the answers. You know, lean lean on the people who are who are your peers. You know, uh, in that regard, lean on the people who report to you, and lean on the people who you report to. Um, sometimes, again, when you get in those leadership positions, particularly where there's titles involved, you know, you you get too involved in the food chain, right? The Who's the president? Who's the vice president? Who's the manager? Who's the front line? You know, and while that while there is probably some need for that to avoid maybe avoid maybe chaos, um, if you get too consumed by that, it's not going to be productive. So yeah, take those opportunities when you get that little nugget of a chance that could turn into something bigger, and really really work on that. And, and again, seek the help of those people around you. Right. Okay. I like. I really like that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I had a question for you and it's gonna, it, it may it may be a little bit um, rattling, a little bit controversial when we talk about leadership. And I think it's also opposite to what most people would think they should do. I'm of the uh, opinion, right? That when it is uh, feasible for someone to, they should avoid leadership opportunities. And what I mean by that is um, if it's not absolutely necessary, <laughs> right, don't go running to them, right, especially when you're young, especially when you're, you know, for example, <laughs> I have this conversation with my, with my son a lot, right, and you, he's seven, and he wants to guide the, uh, his siblings because he's the oldest sibling, but it's a reminder that, hey, you're, you're closer to being their peer than you are to being someone who can provide guidance. So my, my advice, and even what I've done for myself personally, um, I think anybody who knows me well can tell you I have run from leadership opportunities. And people would be like, yeah, no, but you're the guide. I'm like, no, no thanks, <laughs> right? So what what to what degree do you think um, that being a leader is knowing when you uh, shouldn't step into that position where you shouldn't put on the boots. Um, and to what degree is it stepping up even when you know you're not ready? I think that's that's really an intriguing question. It's the first time I've, I've heard a kind of pose in that way. But I think, I think part of being a leader is saying the ability to say no as much as it is the ability to say yes mm. and knowing knowing when that is. I think, you know, I think one of the things that causes us not to step into leadership roles is a fear of failure. And that's the wrong reason not to do something. Mm. Um, but if you, if you strategically think it through and, and maybe, again, talk with others about it, it might not be the right leadership position for you at that time. But what I would suggest along with that is don't let the fear of failure get in your way because too often people do that. And, you know, back to my decision about being a, becoming, becoming a solopreneur, I could have done it 20 years ago, but for whatever reason, I didn't, I didn't step into that role, whatever that reason might be. But probably part of it was because of a fear of failure that I wouldn't be able to support my family. 
wouldn't be able to pay the bills, wouldn't be able to pay the rent, wouldn't be able to pay for healthcare. But maybe if I'd taken that risk at that time. So it's, yeah, it's balancing all the things you know about it. But don't, I guess the point is, I, I, I tend to agree with you, but don't let failure get in the way of trying things either, because we have to, we have to bust out of our comfort zone, right? If we're going to advance in life. But we also, as a leader, have to be willing to understand and appreciate that saying no to something is okay. There have been, there have been times, there was a time uh, earlier in my career when I was on like four or five nonprofit boards and working up, you know, to being in leader, leadership positions. And finally, you got to the point where it wasn't fun anymore because I was doing it too much too often. And it, just, it was detract, it was d- distracting rather than something that was building me. So I, I finally stepped away. So you're right. There are times where you want to say maybe, maybe no to it. It's very situational. And again, I would just say, don't let failure, the fear of failure get in the way of that though. I, I like what you said about saying no. And that, that ties into something that I would like to build, uh, bring up. Um, I've gotten the opportunity to see leadership from varying perspectives. Um, so for example, I was actually in a cult when I was a teenager and preteen. So seeing leadership in that perspective, um, if anybody's interested in that story, you could go back and listen to episode six. Uh, one of the things that I explained there is that, um, cults aren't all bad. There was some good that came out of this. And what happens is there's usually the creation of this, this almost sentience that is created by groupthink, um, where the leader loses control. And what I've, you know, retro, uh, introspectively identified as the the leader losing the ability to say no to certain things thereby losing control and you know in my experience i've seen that lead to abuse not just of you know the congregation or the the group that's supposed to be led but also abuse of the leader by that very um organization um how would you advise leaders to avoid abuse, whether it's abuse of the, their subordinates or abuse of themselves? That's a, another great, you're, these are great questions. I love this, man. This is making me think hard on a Friday afternoon. It's great. Well, I, th- I think, so one of the first things that I talk, I, I, I've got a program called the five-step, a five-step roadmap for mindset shift. The first step of that five-step roadmap is developing your core values. So those are the things that are foundational to you. They're the, the innermost feelings, thoughts, actions, behaviors, what, what, makes, what makes you who you are. It might even be not to be grotesque or anything, but you know what you might put on your tombstone. So my, my core values, for example, are optimism, trust, honesty, enthusiasm, and teamwork. Mm-hmm. Those are the tenets that I live by. So when I make my decisions, I really rely on those core values. When I have something, an obstacle in front of me, I lean on those core values to build to build me back up and, and support me because they're so foundational to who I am. I, matter of fact, there's, there's an exercise I take people through and I, I did it a year later after I just had, because I wanted to have different core values, which sounds really stupid. And I went through it and basically I came up with the same five core values. It, it didn't mm-hmm. change because they are, they are who you are. So as a leader, once you, are, once you develop those and once you have a, a, a strong self-awareness, that's so much about what leadership is, is self-awareness. Once you have that self-awareness of who you are on the inside, that will help you in making the right, in the right decisions. And a lot of things come into play in, in those core values, like right. faith and family are very much, you know, because I didn't say either one of those. But they kind of they're the glue that hold all those together, right? Because they're they're important. But I think those your your core values are really are really what keep you on track in the right direction. I've I've had some failures recently. Three times this year, I got the training rug pulled out from under me and had to retool it and come back to them with some some other type of training. And years ago, it would have crushed me. Like I'm a, I'm this failure. I can't do this. I'm not a good trainer. Mm-hmm. But I, I truly leaned on my core values and said, you know what? I, I can do this. This is a challenge for me. This is an opportunity for me to grow through this failure. So those those core values really are what I think are what so are what's so important to a leader. Listen, I'm so glad that you just said that, and I'm going to explain to you why. 
<laughs> I don't think you just spoke to my listeners. You also spoke to my clients. And for, you know, some time now, I think when we started the business, we started with an entrepreneur course and we're rolling out the digital entrepreneur course here shortly. So we're really just teaching people how to take their business online. And I don't work with people if they don't have either a mission or purpose statement. I believe them to be the same thing and their values. And what I always tell people is I can't work with you if you don't know your values, because I don't know what direction I should be working in. Yeah. Right. And I'm so glad that you shared that because now I get to send people back to this podcast episode and go <laughs> listen to Todd tell you about why values are so important. Because there's been multiple times in my business where I go, should I make this decision or I make that decision? And you're right. I look back to my core values and I go, which, which option is most in alignment with the values of this company that I've created? Which decision are, is most in alignment with those values? And once I figure that out, everything's easy. The decision's easy. I don't have to flip a coin. I don't have to have a million meetings. I don't want to get my partner on the phone and talk for fucking hours. We just, core values are alignment, clarity, balance, and authenticity, right? Those are my four. Um, if it falls in line with that, we're doing it, right? We're having fantastic conversations. And I just wanted to point that out in this conversation because you touched on things that I don't get to bring out. I don't get to talk about the core values and leadership and that stuff very often. And you were spot on, man. So I love that. One, one of the, uh, one of the authors I love reading is Simon Sinek. Mm. And when he, when I first heard him, he came across as a snotty nose millennial. But as I, as I listened to him more, the guy has some incredible practical wisdom. I mean, it's like, yeah, I know that. I know that but we don't live it sometimes. Mm. And one of the things he wrote two books, start with why and find your why. Right. And those are, those would be two great books for the people you're talking about to read. It's all about that, that why, and the why starts with your core values and then builds, builds out from there, the why you're doing your business or whatever the case might be. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I can't tell you how long I beat my head against the wall in the personal development industry, because we're reading these books, we're reading the stuff that says, start with your why. And I'm like, what the fuck? How many whys do I need? Why does it always start with your why? That's like one sentence long. Why? Because I like nice things. Leave me alone, right? <laughs> but when I go to my values, man, it feels like something firm that I can stand on, right? Um, one of the things that I, I often tell, you know, the people in my business, the people, my partners is this thing that I'm doing feels like the first time in my life that I've ever actually stood for something a hundred percent. And it's acknowledging that that's not a very common feeling, right? I, I, people like to pretend like it is, but it's really hard to get there. What has been your experience in finding those things that you really stand on, right? And how long did it take you to discover those things? Well, this, you know, again, my, what my journey I'm on right now is a, a prime example of, do I, you know, whose dream do you want to live? When the person asks me that, whose dream do you want to live? Where, in other words, where's your, where's your passion? Where's your passion at? What, what you know, like, I can't, I can't wait till Monday comes now because i because i'm i'm living my passion of course i'm doing it seven days a week but it's like you know it, it's something that and, and what somebody told me that really you know being a being kind of i guess humble although i talk about myself now but but being humble he said um everybody has a message to share everybody has a message to share now my message might not resonate with you. Your message might not resonate with me, but you're, everybody needs to hear our messages because there are people out there that need to hear our messages. And I found that I do a lot more posting now. I've done more posting the last seven months probably on, on social media. And every once in a while, I'll get that, that message back saying, boy, thanks, I really needed this. Or I just had a chemo treatment and this is exactly what I needed, you know. Um, it's, it's brought me in, in one case, it's, it's, it's brought me in some business, you know, um, with, with somebody I actually coached in basketball 
34 years ago. So, but, but, but that whole, the whole passion about, about what you're doing. And, and, and um, one of the things that I, I, I keep reminding myself is that I want to add more value to others than I receive. Mm. That's, that's one of my goals. So if you're going to pay me money, or if we're going to have a conversation like this, my goal is to add more value than I receive, not like a competition, but just always keeping that in mind. That's something that Maxwell talks about in a lot of his books. Right. Is, is adding more value to other people. He harps on that a lot. And I think that's so that's so critical. And, and, and if you do that, if you if you have a give rather than get mentality, mm-hmm. you know, I think the sky is really the limit for your business and for you. I'm glad that you said that, right? As far as um, you know, we may not know each other, we may not, you know, necessarily agree on everything, but everyone does have a message. Um and with my experience in a uh, in a cult, I've been very faith-based, anything avoiding, right? And I think rightfully so. I don't think anybody's looking at me and like, ah, oh, you heathen. Like, no, I I rightfully so. I've been through some trauma and some abuse, and you know, I deal with that accordingly. But I will say, the leaders that I've met in that space, right? Um, I did an interview a couple of weeks back with a faith-based speaker, right? A uh, gentleman much like yourself, except he's a youth peach, uh, youth speaker, I think around 29 years old, doing extremely well for himself, right? And the level of wisdom associated with not just his gifts, but the fact that he has dedicated himself and disciplined himself within a certain type of life, that stuff is important to me, whether I'm living a Christian life or not. Right. And that that's something that I urge people to just be a little bit less avoidant of be less avoidant of having conversations with people who are not in the same group as you, because 90 percent of the time, people who are in the same group as you say the same shit that you've heard. <laughs> that's a good. Yeah. As, as you were saying that, I was thinking what. Well, what you should be looking for, you in the general sense, not you, you, but what you should be looking for is people who have a differing opinion than you, because that will help you better develop your feelings and thoughts. It might change them. It could change them, but likely not. But you you might tweak your feelings or tweak your thoughts or, you know, I've changed my mind a few times because of people I've surrounded myself. But, but by seeking out others' opinions, it really helps. And I think too much now um regardless of the generation we pile on with people that like you said say the same or feel the same way as we do yeah. and that's not helping anybody i i, I always I, I speak about uh inclusion and inclusivity and one of the things i talk about there's eight billion different people coming up to that anyway eight billion different people in the world and those differences make us better so let's figure out how to work with those differences and, and, and include people rather than, oh, you think that way, I don't want to have anything to do with you, right? We have to respect each other's other's thoughts and opinions. I completely agree with that. There's things that, um, you know, I've gotten a chance to travel the world. I've been very fortunate in life in that way. Um, I've lived in Japan. I've spent some time in the Philippines and Thailand. My family's from Barbados. And what I've learned about all of these different cultures, um, this has been my experience. And people listening are probably not going to like the fact that I said this. But if you have any immigrant uh, blood in you, you'll probably agree. But cultures outside of America are highly focused on what I believe to be common sense and very you know, these survival skills that we call common sense. And within our society, we can get a little bit dulled down. You know, we're we're loose used to uh, flicking a switch and the disposal comes on and the dishwasher comes on and we have working plumbing (laughs) in houses, right? Um, You, if you took the chance as an American and you went to some of these places and you had to use an out toilet, right? It changes your perspective on what you should be grateful about in America. Uh, And this leads into my next question. Do you believe that we are lacking in gratitude 
right, as a people within this country. And, you know, not, not so much the traditional just, you know, wake up every morning and be grateful, but what advice would you have for people who maybe things are looking bleak and they could use a little bit of gratitude? What, what advice do you have or what exercises would you, or even books, what would you recommend for people who could use a little bit more gratitude in their life? It kind of gets back to what I said before about give and you will get. So I think uh, maybe, you know, maybe we, maybe we're feeling sorry for ourselves and we need some gratitude. Well, the best way to get out of that is give gratitude because it comes back multiple fold when you do that. Um, one of the, I, I spoke last night uh, to a Toastmasters group and the last thing, and what I typically do when I speak, the last thing I always tell people is I, I have them stand up, hold up their hand and swear that they will commit an intentional act of kindness. And as simple and cliche as that may sound, by, by doing that, you'll receive that same thing back in, in, in triplicate or quadruple or whatever the case might be. But so if, if you're, if you're looking now, if, if you're, if you're in such a, such a, you know, a down situation, I think you just have to reach out people. There are people out there that will help you, right? Um, you know, go to my website, you know, you know, contact you, whatever, reach out. There are people that if you're in that situation, but I still think the the way to turn it around is give it and you'll get it back. Um, give, you know, give that gratitude out for others. Hold the door open for somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, some stupid, simple little things that that in life. So if we if we multiply that, then if we all commit intentional acts of kindness, pretty soon everybody, it, it doesn't, you know, if you do the math, it doesn't take long before everybody in the world would be touched by that. And imagine what a place that would be and what gratitude you would receive back as a result of that. So I think, you know, two things. First is if you're in, if you're in an extremely tough place, reach out to someone because there are people out there that want to help you. But even with that said, commit intentional acts of kindness. It's a simple, almost trite thing, but it, but it means so much. And um, it, like in the business world, when I first started my position with our, the business accounts I worked at, we would send handwritten notes to, to businesses and to people for thank yous or we saw them in the news. And, you know, th- anybody can do that, right? Put a stamp on, well, put a stamp on an envelope. And that little piece of gratitude to them came back to us, you know, mul- multiplied. A simple little act of kindness like that, where they had, someone took the time to actually write a handwritten note and didn't print something off on a copier or, or send some email or social media post. So just, those are just simple examples of how to commit those acts of kindness. I think that's uh, really beautiful. And I, I think it's needed in a time like now where um, I think that Americans were much nicer pre-pandemic, right? <laughs> I think uh, six feet distance has done a lot for us uh, to avoid those skills. Um, I do have another question for you, right? That's why we're here for you to ask me questions. Yeah, a ton of them. <laughs> hey, let me, I want to tell you something quick though before I forget. You know, talking about that six feet of distance, I'm a promoter. My new thing is the three H's. Mm-hmm. Hugs, handshakes, and high fives. Nice. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I know there's a new strain and all this stuff, but I, you know, I think we're losing a lot by, by I mean, so, so virtual communication like this has opened up incredible opportunities. Right. But it's also closing a lot of opportunities because we've lost that, that hugs, handshakes, and high fives mentality where, we want to get in front of people. So I'm sorry for interrupting you there, but I wanted to. No, don't be sorry for interrupting me. This, this <laughs> is for anybody who's listening. Uh, barbershop rules on this podcast. And what I mean by barbershop, you laugh because, you know, a bunch of men in a barbershop watching a game. The loudest one wins. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Um, so the question is really based around. So you're an executive coach as well. Good. Um. And obviously, I take that to mean that you coach executives and help them figure out, you know, how to get better at doing their thing, how to get better at leadership. So the question there is, what do you think is the key difference between someone who is at the bottom rung of a company and the person who is at the top? So the CEO or owner, chairman, those guys, and what can the person who is at the bottom 
do to get closer to those being the guy at the top? It's the decisions we make, not the conditions that determine our future. Mm. And the person, if you look at title, I'm not saying you, but if, if people look at title, they're missing the whole thing because that person who may be in the front line of that organization for 15 years may know a heck of a lot more than that CEO. And I think the biggest mistake that companies make is, uh, you know, there's that the, the show where the CEO, the TV show where the CEO becomes a frontline worker and, you know, learns about, I, I think there's such a disconnect there. And I think they're both extremely talented. It just happens that one has a title mm. and one makes more money. Um, right. So again, it, it's, it's your decisions you make, not your conditions. You can become that next CEO, maybe not that company, maybe another one. Anybody could, anybody, I mean, it sounds trite, but anybody can be a millionaire. I think, I think it's, a, it's about the, it's about the decisions you make. So it, there's really, I don't see, I don't see much difference. I think there's so much value in people. You get a group of people around a table without titles. It's amazing what they can solve, the, the, right. the problems they can solve. And, and I know that, you know, the United States is very much, about, you know, much like ranks, very rigid about titles and what people can and can't do things. But communication is so important in the workplace and everybody everybody brings value. And those, the frontline people, I'm working with a business right now, we created a culture team. Mm. And it's, it's, it's a cross-sectional across the frontline workers of, of individuals from across this company. It's only a company of 200, but we brought them together and the first thing we did was built a team with them. And now they're building a culture in that company. And it's just been amazing. I mean, they, these are smart people. Some of them are cutting bacon, but they could very well be the CEO of the company. It's not because of their title. It's just because of some decisions that maybe were made along the road. So there, there's value in everybody uh, in an organization. One, one thing I wanted to, to well, again, while I think of it, because stuff fleets from my mind quickly, is you mentioned about executive coaching. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you talked about helping them figure out. And I think the best executive coaches are the ones who ask the questions. I think, I think our job as an executive coach, uh, different than a mentor, right, is, is to help them figure out the solutions. Because again, we all have the capability to do that. So I'm, I'm working with a gentleman right now and, and I spend a lot of time just asking him questions and, and then holding him accountable uh, as well. So um, I think that's the, you know, the, the, the top executive coaches, that's, and that's what I like to do too, is I'll, I'm kind of facilitating a discussion the person has with him or herself about their right. role as a CEO. Just a little side note on that. I, I think that's really dope that you, um, you shared as well. Because that that shed light that sheds light on you know something that I've long pondered. Um, you know there are people who are highly introspective in the world and they end up in these positions and then you hear their thoughts and you go holy shit they think like that right and it's really just this raw natural um, thought that like you said earlier we we share right. And you go, okay, yes, that's it. Um, but even just the idea that as an executive coach, what you're doing is you're, you're holding space for someone to engage with themselves. So I'll give some, I'll give the listeners a quick story on that is, um, you know, I had a, a Tantra and intimacy coach. Actually, I featured her on episode 11 love her to death, right? I said it during that episode. I said it on this one. I'm probably going to say it again. Love her to death. All she did was ask me questions. She asked the questions that were tailored around the subjects and the results that I was looking for. And she gave me an hour and a half each week to figure out the answers, right? And it was a beautiful space because Number one, I wasn't asking myself these questions. I didn't know that these were the questions that I should have been asking myself. And having somebody there to encourage me that was, you know, not just encouraging, but they came with a certain subset of uh, understanding to feed in whenever that uh, introspection stalled short, it 
created the perfect coaching environment. So I just wanted to piggyback and co-sign. And yeah, then absolutely. The, no, you the second the thing I would say is um, with, with that CEO versus the person that's cutting bacon, I, and I love that you said that they, um, the experience that people have uh, isn't necessarily indicative of the position that they hold, right? Um, so that's really important before I say this next piece. But what I've long since, or again, another thing I've pondered, right, uh, <laughs> is to what degree are we in positions that we don't want to be in, right? For those of us who are working the job that we, we hate or we're in these positions that we abhor, um, to what degree is that because we aren't using the right strategy for us, right? Yeah, there's, there's a, could be a variety of different challenges, but yeah, somewhere along the line, and it, 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 hap it happened to me in my life in, in a couple different situations where I got into the, you know, the wrong position or I started in the right position and ended up becoming the wrong position. I think that's where, yeah, that's where we have to develop some, strategy we have to look back again to our to our core values of, of who we are and we have to have we have to have conversations maybe we're in a, a corporate culture that is toxic maybe it's not we think it's a position but maybe it's a corporate culture that's toxic so we have to make some decisions how long can we you know can we endure that before we look for for another opportunity or do i need do i need to go out and, and talk to some people maybe i need some coaching myself maybe it's maybe i'm in a great situation and i'm i'm the problem then again, maybe you need to get out, you need to have the self-awareness to understand that as well. Or maybe you're in a position that, that you don't have the skills or ability and need to talk to your employer about getting those skills or ability if you're in that position. So kind of, a, there's a number of different ways to attack that. There's not one, you know, one uh, um, duplicatable re response for that. But if, you, if you're miserable, you got to do something, right? You got to either you have to change or you have to work with your organization to change or, or figure out what you need to do. Sometimes you have to suffer a little bit because of your, maybe your, your financial situation, your responsibilities in life. You can't just resign from a position, but then you should be working towards that, that next one. Uh, in, in, in a good a company with a good culture, you know, they, they should be helping you within the organization. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen a lot, but right. It, what I'd like to, what I, what I preach and what I try to do is build more leadership development into corporations and, um, you know, work with them on, on how, and that, that's part of why, why I created these culture teams, right? Build, build, help build that culture within an organization that, that helps develop your leaders. I'm actually, I'm working with a, a gentleman who works at the university in our community, and we're putting together a, a conference on wellness Nice. And if you do a word association test, when I say the word wellness, most people think of, you know, physical wellness or maybe nutritional wellness, but there's also mental health wellness. There's also leadership wellness. There, there's, you know, wellness is a, is an entity, not a single singular thing. And I think some companies, you know, they, they put a couple treadmills in their business office and they think, oh, this is a wellness. Well, that helps. But there's a lot more to it. And I think as companies, if you want to attract the right people, you need to think of wellness in a, in a different way. I, I, I would definitely agree with you. Um, you know, as I mentioned to you, I, I have some experience in, you know, Fortune 100 companies. And, you know, my, my experience there has been, you know, the things that you would do for wellness at one location it was perfectly fine to go on a walk every uh, hour, right? You know, every hour, a 10 minute walk was perfectly fine at one location, at another location, it's not okay, it's frowned upon, right? But then at every location uh, that I've ever been at, this is the one that gets me. If you walk outside and just say you want fresh air, your manager is gonna talk to you about, um, you know, probably making sure that you do more work or they're going to check to see how much work you're doing. If you smoke a cigarette, <laughs> no one asks ask a goddamn question, right? So 
it this is even how culture starts to affect and I'm not telling anybody to quit smoking, right? Like Lord knows I, I smoke and it's not just cigarettes, right? You, you do with that information what you will. But <laughs> um, the idea that what happens is we, we create a culture that is the opposite of what HR and leadership desires, which is healthy minded people, right? We um, create negative incentive towards the, actions that would just be you know clearing mental clearing for a lot of our people and a, a lot of these jobs are very mentally intensive nowadays mm-hmm. right uh, I, uh people seem to think that i was just sitting behind a desk and because i wasn't doing anything physical i wasn't drained i was burnt out at the end of the day emotionally uh mentally uh, my, my, my mom and my family could tell you, like, I'll get home and I'm short with words, right? Uh, me, a speaker, four, four years of Toastmasters, very loquacious individual, short with words because I'm mentally drained. So what advice do you have for both leaders who are contributing to this uh, culture and the the members of the organization that are suffering through that culture. What advice do you have for both of those people? Yeah, I think um, as you were telling that story, I was thinking of a situation I was in in employment where the the HR person uh, basically had like a stopwatch or a, a timer or whatever. And if you came in at 801, you had to take 15 minutes of vacation. And, you know, when you're supposed to start at eight. Um, because you're talking, you know, talking about these, um, a minute to go outside and catch your breath, you know, whatever the case might be. And it was a very, it was not a good culture. And, uh, she left after a while and, and we, we changed the culture and it was like, if your kid plays a soccer game at four o'clock and your day ends at four 30, leave at three 30 and don't worry about taking any vacation time, just go. Cause I know you're going to work your tail off and make it up, come in early the next day. So we did, we've just flipped that whole culture around, um, you know, we, we, we had a general, obviously our offices were open a certain time frame, but outside of that, you know, as long as we had two people in the office, it was fine, but you get, you have to create that atmosphere. So, you know, I think some, some, some businesses now even give unlimited time off. And in some ways, I think that's, that's, that's kind of counterproductive because you feel so guilty about taking time right. off. You don't take any, but 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 somewhere in there, and again, it depends. You can't do that if you're if you're you know the 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 meat industry I talked about. I was working with the business; they have to have people on the line. So so every business has to do it a little bit different. <clears throat> but figure out ways to give your employees that flexibility within the framework of the company, because you'll gain you'll gain so much in terms of culture. You can't have people coming in and out willy nilly, but you can certainly give some give some flexibility to your, we, to your time. We, and we, we shifted, you know, where, where it was all paid time off instead of having sick time and vacation time. Right. You know, and then you had to kind of figure out how you were going to use it and were you going to, you know, call in sick, but actually you're taking a vacation day and just, you get this many days, use them however you want. We don't care. Right. And if you want to come early and leave late, cause your kids got a softball game or, you know, you got it, you're going to go vote. Don't worry about that. So yeah, yeah, but again, different businesses, there's different ways to, to tackle that, but you have to give employees some flexibility. And now with the remote world and, and how that's kind of put our businesses on, you know, topsy-turvy, now we have to figure out how that's going to work and how we're going to bring pay, be, bring back people to the office. Do we bring them back? How often do we bring them back? How do we bring them back? And all the other issues that go with that. So I may ruffle some feathers with this one, but I don't care because I work for myself. Um, I I think that a big problem that corporations are having and a lot of larger organizations are having is that their managers aren't good at the jobs that they're managing. And what I mean by that is if you understand the job, then, you know, in a, in a work from home environment, it's not conducive to continually check on your people. They're sitting at home. You don't know whether they're in that meeting or they've turned their camera off and went to sleep, right? Mm-hmm. 
it's far more advantageous to make sure that everything is um, project-based, right? And let, let me give you these small tasks, right? Or you tell me what task you've completed. And if those tasks add up to, you know, something that adds value to a KPI or an OKR, then we're in good shape. But I think with, with time moving the way that it's moving, you can't track someone behind the computer except that it's on, right? Um, I think that it behooves organizations that can move to a more project-based mentality to move to a project-based mentality and just to have more collaboration locations and, and better collaboration locations at that, right? I don't think there's a need for us to, you know, integrations have gotten better, but I'm pretty sure you, you've seen it as well. We launched a Zoom meeting that has to get replicated in Slack, Discord, Teams, uh, all of these different places. Uh, it's the other one, Skype for Business, right? Which is now Teams. Well, let me be honest with right. that. Right? Right. Um, you launch a Zoom meeting, it has to get replicated to all these businesses. But all of these tools have native uh, video collaboration softwares, mm. right? Or is there an integration that you can just sit into the widget if you started a meeting with this person? Anyone can jump into the meeting. I think the technology also needs to get better to support. Um, and it's not, we're, we're not asking for a lot from this technology. And I'm saying that as a technological person, like we're not, <laughs> we're not asking for a lot. Um, as well as the managers have to get better at actually knowing what the fuck is going on, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I, I say that from the perspective of, you know, I was working one uh, gig where they asked me for a breakdown at the end of the day. So they tracked in time and then they wanted a list of tasks that I did. So I'm annoyed with you right now, right off the bat, because now you're asking me to track two different metrics Right. And mm -hmm. if you know any techies, we get really zoned in. Yeah. Right. Like we get zoned in. So, no, I, I don't know what the fuck I was doing for the last two hours besides staring at this computer screen, trying to figure some shit out. And when you ask a question like you only got six things done in a day. I'm sorry. Do you know how complicated my job is? Right. Um, so that's. That's what I would like to see, especially as a tech professional. Um, but I don't think it's going to change things for me going back into the job. So, uh, well, all, all we, what we've really been talking about, if you boil it down, and I'm a simple guy, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it boils down to trust. Mm. That's that's the basis of everything. That's that's the basis of any Definitely any agree. kind of relationship, whether it's a a family relationship or or a work relationship or a church or organization it really comes down to trust. And uh, Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm. And the, the, the base dysfunction is absence of trust. So the base function is you, you, you need to have trust. Once you have trust in an organization or with two people or more, then you can build on that. And from there, once you have that trust, then you can have conflict and you can have quality, quality conflict. There's such a thing as good conflict, but you can't have that unless you trust people. So what are the things that you're doing as an organization to develop to develop that trust? And one of those things is, you know, I trust that my people are going to get their work done, whether it's based on tasks or whether it's based on just getting shit done, right? right. That was one of our, our, our three things in, in, when I was in the, uh, the business council was uh, know how to have fun, dream big and get shit done. If you do those three things, that's fine. You can leave early for your kid's softball game, whatever the case might be. But it all, all of this boils down to, to trusting people and, and, and trust that they're going to get the job done. And I think you brought up a really good point. Yeah, you can count the tasks that somebody does and look at these spreadsheets, but what do they know about how long a task takes and what sort of obstacles came up in your way? What sort of, what sort of things changed along the way? I mean, some things are A to B to C to D to E, but some things are A to D to B to Z to W to C, you know, don't, don't work that smoothly. But again, it's, it's a trust thing. 
And I, I think there there has been a um a certain level of comfort that leadership has had with you know just truly understanding and not fully delegating um tasks to their um techs and their to their people, right? Uh to their team. And when I say comfort, it's coming from a standpoint of you've given me a task, it includes me interacting with these people and Anybody in corporate America knows or in any large organization understands that if there's interaction between two teams, it's a little bit rough, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you tend to want to try to build a relationship with certain team members. Um, and there's a there's I don't think there's enough paying attention to the personality on these teams a little bit closer and uh, inter team building and just making sure that collaboration's there but i mean granted there is a lot to do in a corporate office there is a lot to do in a business and you can't spend all of it making sure that uh people's feelings aren't hurt and they like each other well yeah and you know if you look at problems in an organization and you peel it away you look at there's a problem with sales there's a problem with productivity there's a problem with marketing there's a problem with this a problem with that what it all boils down to is drama and silos and personalities that's that's why things you know exactly what you were just talking about personality that's why things don't get done and that's why one of the one of the tools i use is a disc assessment you know it's similar to many other behavioral personality communication assessments but it really gets at that very thing is is people's personalities and if i know if i know that you're a certain style of of person and you know that i'm a certain style and our styles are different or even if they're the same we then can better understand how to work with each other. But, but you know, when you come into, of course, we're both solopreneurs, but when you come into the office in, in the morning, you come in with baggage, right? Right. The, the, dog, the dog dropped a load in the, lo- in the yard. You had to clean up that you didn't expect to do, or you had a fight with your spouse or your partner, or, you know, and, and that brings in, then, then it just exacerbates in the workplace. It, it gets worse and worse. But right. if you think about it as a leader, it's like, okay, everybody's intentions are good. People mm. aren't trying to sabotage work. I trust this person. Something's going on. Let me let me ask them a question. Hey, how's your day going? Right? And that can open up, you know, that, that can help them along the way. But it comes down to those individual personalities and trusting that person and then helping, helping them maybe get through whatever they're facing. And you know what, Todd? I think that this has been a very enlightening um podcast interview right i think this one coupled with one that i just had which was from another uh with another brother that was uh in corporate america and you know college graduated has a lot of that experience we talked a lot about interviewing and jobs i'm gonna make sure that these two are on a playlist together because um i think it's very important that people understand leadership so that they aren't the asshole in the team abusing the leader, right? Um, And I I brought that up earlier because one of the things that people need to understand about leaders, I think people think of them as these strong people, whether it's by character or physically, right? And a lot of times it's both, right? A lot of times you see, um, whether even if it's a woman in a leadership position, there's this regal authority um, nature that comes along with it. But the misconception that we have about strength means that we come with problems or we don't ask them about their day or their shit. Uh, so you get your manager in and your manager has an attitude. And are you being a leader within the organization and asking how your manager's day was going? Mm-hmm. Right. Because we sometimes we go, oh man, that person's a terrible boss. This person's terrible. This man, that person has kids and grandkids at home and somebody uh, took a shit right in his shoe before he, he left for work that morning, <laughs> right? His, his car was on empty. So that's why he's night, uh, 20 minutes late, right? And all of, the, all of the same things that you go through, your leaders are going through, right? Um, and that's one of the things that I, I would encourage people who are in the follower or the subordinate position to uh, remember as well that leaders are not 
immaculate conceptions of perfection. <laughs> they're right. They're they're fl flawed human beings trying to figure it out as much as you. And maybe they have a little bit more skills than you do. Maybe they don't. Um, but empathy is free. Exactly. And right. people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's true. Right. And Todd. So quick question. This yeah. last question. All right. Is there anything that you would like to leave our audience with? Well, I like the, the last quote is one of my favorites. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think that's, the, I think that's so important. And um, I think that, you know, again, kind of back to one of the early questions you asked, that, that whole idea of, of relationships and how important that is and, and respecting others, getting back to your core values. Um, that's really what it's about. And, and, and trust is such an important word. That's, that's why one of those, are, that's one of my five core values is trust. So really, you know, figure those out for yourself and lean on those and utilize those. I definitely agree with that. And for the rest of you listening, go be great.